0: notes for tonight. You got those already? We're going to be looking at the book of Acts. Before we get there tonight, I want you you take your Bibles with me to Psalm 75. Psalm 75. i want going to read you a few verses tonight before we get to our text. And uh, Psalm 75. You know, in a few days, we have an election here in the United States. Did anybody know that? I don't know if you've seen it on television or on Facebook or anyplace else. There's one coming. And um, we hear doom and gloom on both sides. If whatever candidate gets in, it's going to be doom and gloom. And uh, I'm a strong, strong conservative, and that's putting it mildly tonight. And uh, I know how I would like to see the election go next week. But last time I checked, it's not up to me how it goes. And in all honesty, you know, we got we to remember something. Psalm 75, look at verse number 5. Bible says, lift not up your horn on high, speak not with a stiff neck. For promotion cometh neither from the east nor from the west nor from the south, but God is the judge. He putteth. Down one and setteth up another. Look at the end of that verse there. He putteth down one and setteth up another. God knows who's going to win next Tuesday. And God knows what we need. I think I know what we need, but that doesn't mean anything. He knows what we need. And at the end of the day, whoever is elected to be president next week doesn't change the fact that the God of King of Kings and Lord of Lords is still on his throne. He can never be voted out. He can never be taken down. He's always on his throne, and no one can change that. And that's where our hope comes from. But I want you to remember something. The promotion comes from God. He puts one up, and he takes one down. Go to Daniel chapter number 2. This last I'll show you tonight. I want you to realize you say, Oh Pastor, who do you think's gonna win? I already told you who I'm plan who I'm hoping wins. His last name doesn't start with a B, I'll just tell you that. So if think about this, if we want our country to be like the state of California, then you want Biden to win. And I do not want our country like the state of California. The state of California is a mess and becoming more and more godless all the time in fact you shouldn't even be in this building tonight because they say you can't we're here because we listen to a higher power that's why we're here tonight because we worship god but if if it goes a certain way could be the rule all over the place not just crazy california and we look at daniel chapter number two and look what daniel has to say now we got to remember man he lived under a wicked king didn't he here Nebuchadnezzar, I don't think we have anyone quite that bad. Well, maybe we do. I could name names, but we won't do that tonight. Daniel 2, look at verse number 20. What it says here? Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings and setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise and understanding to them that know, and knowledge to them that know understanding. You see what we see there? He removeth kings and setteth them up. So yes, we all might vote and we all say we pick who our next leader is going to be, but I'm a firm believer that God is sovereign, that God's all-knowing, and whoever God wants to be our president next week is going to be the one who is. And it could be that we just need some awakening in us. We look at our, at the virus and everything that's gone on the past several months, maybe God's trying to wake Christians up. And in fact, tonight as we look at the book of Acts, you're going to see at the end of the message tonight how God takes tragedy in life and brings great blessing and great things out of tragedy. We'll see that by the end tonight. So let's go to the book of Acts chapter number one, and we'll dive into tonight's message. So just a little thought for you. Remember, God is in control. And I have people on Facebook need to get there, get that figured out too. Baptist preachers need some help with that one. God is in control. And if you don't believe that, then you might as well just stop this whole thing of Christianity because if God's not in control, we're in big trouble. And you might say, well, where is God in the midst of all this? His unseen hand is right there working just like it did in the book of Esther, just like it did all throughout the Scripture. He is working, and he's still working today, and I'm grateful for that. Acts chapter 1, verse number 1, The former treatise have I made... O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach until the day in which he was taken up, after that he, through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? Man, they go, there they go again. Wasn't that what they were asking him before he died on the cross? Hey, when are you going to get the kingdom? When are we going to get under the, out of this Roman rule? And when are you going to set things up? And he told them not to worry about it. And again, they ask after he's died on the cross, rose again, spent 40 days teaching them all sorts of things. We see it all over again. They ask that. And look at what Jesus says, verse number seven. And he saith unto them, "'It is not for you to know the times or the seasons "'which the Father hath put in his own power, "'but ye shall receive power. "'After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you, "'and ye shall be witnesses unto me, "'both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria.'" On the uttermost part of the earth, the disciples were not to be concerned about when the kingdom would be would come. Their job was to be concerned and wait for the Holy Spirit of God to come, and to let the Holy Spirit of God fill them to start to to take the church to all parts of the world. That was the Lord's goal. We've been going through a series on Wednesday nights of going through the books of the Bible. And we're in the book of Acts. We're rounding the finish line, really. We've been going a long time on all of these. And we're going to study the book of Acts I and see several things. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. We'll dive in. Father, we're grateful for tonight and grateful for your love for us. Please bless the next few minutes that we have together. I pray that you'd work in a special way that only you can. We love you and we need you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We just finished the Gospels last week, all four Gospels as we see Christ and his early earthly life and his ministry. And we come to the book of Acts called the Acts of the Apostles. It really could be called the Acts of Jesus when you think about it. It was him working in and through the disciples or through the apostles. The church gets started in the book of Acts. Is it warm in here, anybody? Warm tonight? And uh, I don't know if the air didn't turn on completely. We'll cool it off a little bit. Because the warmer it is, the faster you fall asleep on me, and we don't want that to happen tonight. And you got when I see Margie f- fan herself back there, I turn the air on a little bit. So I told you ties and offerings have been down the past couple of weeks. When they get back up, we'll have it like an ice box in here, okay? Just kidding, just kidding. And so what was that? That was only a partial truth, right? Russ, just a little bit there candles yeah no more lights <laughs> oh, no we won't do that see that's we gotta calm the treasure down just a little bit okay but we see all of this take place and you think about the book of acts is the history of the church you even read the last few verses of the book of acts it doesn't end with an ending it's kind of it just leaves you hanging why because the church is still going two thousand years later today and so we're going to dive in and learn some things tonight as we go through the book of Acts. We saw, first of all, as we dive in, that Acts is the second book that, wrote, that Luke wrote. It says, first verse, the former treatise have I made. Now, I told you two weeks ago when we went through the book of Luke who Theophilus, what the name Theophilus means. Can anybody remember from two weeks ago what the name Theophilus means? Maria, lovers of God. And so some people wonder if Theophilus was a person or if it was written to all those who love God. I tend to think probably written to all those who love God, but Theophilus could have been a person as well. And so Luke wrote the book of Luke as well as the book of Acts. We talked about he was a physician. He traveled with Paul. And you'll see there's a lot about Paul in the book of Acts, and there's a lot there. We'll get into all of that later on tonight. When we get to the book of Acts, something different takes place that we have not seen yet in the Bible to this point. We've gone from Genesis to John. And we've seen in the Old Testament, you can remember back in the book of Judges, we think of Samson, the Holy Spirit came upon him. And then there were times where the Holy Spirit left him. You had David say that, Lord, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come and go jesus comes and he's with his disciples and he told them the book of john it's important for me it's expedient that i go away because i'm going to send someone to be with you i'm not going to leave you comfortless i'm going to send the holy spirit and we see the book of acts and as we dive in here this is where we see the holy spirit the third part of the trinity just as much god as god the father just as much god as god the son Is the Holy Spirit and we see him come really and work here in the book of Acts. And so I want to give you a few thoughts tonight about the Holy Spirit before I go through the book of Acts with you tonight. Number one, and I don't know if I gave you these notes or not, but we see the promise of the Spirit. I don't think I gave you these notes. These are just some extra things this afternoon as I was doing some studying. I decided to add in there. But we see the promise of the Spirit. We saw in verse number four. It says, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith ye, have heard of him. And then verse number 8 tells us, but ye shall receive power, after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and in the uttermost parts of the earth. We see that when Jesus had his ministry, he promised them that the Holy Spirit was coming. There was the promise of the Spirit. You need to wait in Jerusalem till the Spirit comes. The second thing that we see here is the power of the Holy Spirit. The Bible says you shall receive power there in verse number 8. And in verse number 8, that word power is where we get the word dynamite from. You shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The Holy Spirit of God empowers the believer to do the work that you and I cannot do in our own strength. You see, we will walk in the flesh, but since we have the Spirit of God in us, we can walk in the Spirit so we don't fulfill the lusts of the flesh. There are things, and how are we supposed to not yield to temptation? Well, if we didn't have the Spirit of God, that wouldn't work out very well. And so, when He empowers the believer, and He helps us to do the work of God, the Holy Spirit helps us, what are the fruits of the Spirit? It's important to have the Holy Spirit with you to live out the fruit of the Spirit, right? And so we have the promise of the Spirit. We have the power of the Spirit. What's the purpose of the Spirit? To convict us of wrong, to comfort us. The Bible says, Jesus says, I'll send you another comforter to be there for you. He's also there, as we saw in verse number 8, to help us witness. A Spirit-filled Christian will be someone who witnesses. So, pastor, I could never witness to anyone. If you're full of the Holy Spirit, you can, because that's what the Holy Spirit's job was. Do we see that right there in verse number 8? And as that happens, and as we see the purpose of the Spirit, we also see how the Spirit works. If you go to chapter number 2, go to chapter number 2, and I'm only going to, this will probably be my last point I give you. I know this wasn't in your notes, but I started thinking the book of Acts is... So much about the Holy Spirit. I thought I'd talk about the Holy Spirit a little bit. We do not talk enough about the Holy Spirit of God today. In all honesty, as a young boy, I'm talking young, the late 80s, early 90s, I remember going to church and hearing preaching on the Holy Spirit a lot. And I believe 70s, 80s, and 90s, you heard a lot of it. You don't hear much preaching today on the Holy Spirit. And I don't know, people are afraid that you're gonna be you're gonna be charismatic if you talk about the nuts. And there's there's a balance. We're not gonna speak in tongues or roll down the floor or do anything like that. But we need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need him in our lives. We need him to work in us. You know, that's what we're missing in Christianity today, is just the power of the Holy Spirit. We have a lot of powerless Christians today. Why? Because the power of the Holy Spirit's not working in us. Because we're not yielding ourselves and letting the Spirit lead and guide us in all that we do. And we look at chapter number two, and uh, you could just read those first few verses. But the fact, what does the, what the, the product of the Spirit is the people hear the gospel, they recognize their need for the gospel, and the Holy Spirit of God convicts us of our sin to receive and to respond to the gospel. Now, something that's so awesome about that before salvation, we're dead. You can't, one of those, I was talking about the trees earlier. The reason why one of those trees, half of it came off is because half the tree was dead. A dead person, a dead tree, can't do anything you want it to do. Try to move a dead person, you can't. They won't do what you tell them to do. So to think of how the Holy Spirit of God quickens a dead spirit, that would that, we could spend all night just talking about all of that. The book of Acts is an awesome book looking at the history of the church. It was was written around 60 A.D. and Acts covers the time from Jesus' ascension back into heaven and this same Jesus is going to come again and praise God for the day that he comes. And Paul was imprisoned in the mid-60s A.D. and the temple was destroyed in 70 A.D. so it was written before the temple was destroyed. And so I'm going to give you a brief outline and give you some thoughts on the book of Acts tonight, then we'll watch our videos and we'll go home. So the outline for Acts number one we see, that's where your notes begin, the waiting for the Spirit, waiting for the Spirit. That's what chapter one is all about. They are 40 days with Christ, he's teaching them, and then he ascends up to heaven and they wait about, when did Pentecost happen? Pentecost means what? Penta means 50 so if Jesus was with them 40 days, the Spirit probably waited another 10 days to come. So after Jesus went back up, they were waiting in that upper room about 10 more days before the Spirit came. They waited 40 days, 40 days with Christ. It was 50 days, day of Pentecost. And then we also see that they appointed a new apostle, Matthias, the end of chapter number 1. Now, there's people have different opinions about all of this. Basically, they cast lots or, you know, drew the short straw, however you want to say it. They gambled on a little bit, however you want to put it, because they needed to replace, they wanted a twelfth apostle. We know that Judas was the twelfth, and Judas betrayed Christ, and he killed himself. And so, one of the things, though, that's very interesting is, we read in the Bible, and Paul talks about later, the fact that in order to be an apostle... And nowadays, you hear people say, I'm apostle so-and-so. Anybody ever met an apostle before? I have, or so they call themselves. To be an apostle, a biblical apostle, you must be called by Jesus Christ himself. That's one of the requirements that Paul talks about. I personally don't believe that Matthias was an apostle because the other apostles called him. Jesus didn't call him. Jesus called Paul. Paul on Damascus Road, and the 12th apostle would be Paul. And if you want to say that that might not be the way you see it, then when we get to heaven, ask Jesus and let him give you the real answer. And if you want to sit and debate about all that, I'll give you another one. Did Adam have a belly button or not? You can talk about that one. Some people will debate just for the sake of debating. And what's the point in debating? To prove that we're right. Yeah. Debating, pride, it all goes hand in hand. We'll leave that there. Waiting for the Spirit, chapter number one. Number two, we see the ministry in Jerusalem. The ministry in Jerusalem. We see that um, we could actually go back to Acts chapter one, verse number eight, and you basically see verse eight gives you how the whole book goes for the entire time. There are going to be witnesses in Jerusalem, then Judea, Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth. We see the ministry started in Jerusalem. In chapter 2, we see the day of Pentecost happens. Think about that. 3,000 were saved and baptized that day and added to the church. What a day that was. And the church was growing, and people were excited about it. And in chapters 2 through chapter number 7, we see lots of things. We hear a lot of Christians nowadays talk about how Romans chapter 13, we as the people of God need to obey every order of man. But they leave out Acts chapter number 5, where the apostles were told not to preach in the name of Jesus, and they said, we're going to obey God rather than men. People tend to leave that out nowadays. But that's a very important passage of Scripture. What we see happen as the church takes off, we see persecution comes. We saw there were some disputes, the first deacons in chapter number 6. And in chapter number seven, persecution's really taking off. And one of the main culprits of that persecution is Saul. And in chapter number seven, Stephen is the first martyr of the church. He's stoned for preaching the gospel and for taking the gospel to the people. And they didn't want to listen. And so we see chapter one begins with the waiting for the Spirit, chapter two through seven, we see the ministry in Jerusalem. The church begins to have persecution, which leads to point number three of the outline. We see the ministry moving to Judea and Samaria. Because of the persecution, it got them to go where they were supposed to go from the beginning. Now, hold on for a minute. What did Jesus say in Acts 8 you You're going to receive power, and after you do, you're going to be witnesses where? In Jerusalem. And in Samaria and in Judea, the uttermost parts of the earth, right? They're supposed to witness everywhere. what they do? They kept the gospel in Jerusalem. The persecution comes and they have to spread out all over the place. So could you say that maybe the persecution, God used it to get them to do what they were supposed to do? I think you could say that. Isn't that amazing how that works? God tells us to do something and when we don't do what God says. Sometimes he's got to teach us and help us do what we need to do. Philip is in Samaria. Saul, the persecutor from chapter 8 through chapter number 12, becomes Paul. And Damascus Road changed his life and his life would never be the same again. And the Lord made a change, a great change in the life of Paul. And it's, I'm thankful for the change he's made in our lives and how he's worked in our lives. And we see that Saul turns from being a persecutor into being a preacher. We also see that Peter reaches the Roman soldier, Cornelius, and things. Chapter 11, the church at Antioch. That's where they were first called Christians. Things are getting established and moving. We go further into the outline. We see that number four, we see the ministry goes to the ends of the earth, from chapter 13 to, verse, to chapter 28. Paul and others go on three different missionary journeys. into Asia Minor, um, which is modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor in Greece, then Asia Minor in Greece. So the whole area, the gospel was going. And Luke was, is what we see with the, when we look at the book of Acts as the fulfillment of the Great Commission. God told them to preach the gospel to every creature. But what we see is we see the fact that literally the world was turned upside down. Remember, there's a passage in the book of Acts that says, these are the guys that turned the world upside down. The gospel was going all over the place. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. And we see all that God used Paul, used the apostles, used them to do. And we see the church take off. We see the history of it. And basically what you'll see over the next several weeks is then you have the epistles that were written to churches that were established in the book of Acts. And then you have the book of prophecy, the book of Revelation, for the end. We look at the book of Acts, and that's the big picture. Honestly, we could, go, we could do a study for four or five years and go through every verse of the book of Acts and break it down. That's a simple outline of it. And there are so many amazing truths in the book. We could go so many different directions. i give you so much. But this is to give you a brief overview of the book. Now, what I want to give you some thoughts tonight as I finish up, I say, Pastor, you're almost done. Don't get too comfortable. You know, we're, I, we're rounding a corner. I don't know if it's the corner that leads home or if it's the corner at second base. We're somewhere between second and third. And leave it to you, Erica, to wear a Dodger shirt tonight. Just trying to rub it in for everybody. Trying to rub it in. And I bet bet if they didn't win yesterday, you wouldn't be wearing that shirt tonight, huh? I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I want you to think with me for a few minutes tonight. With God, tragedy leads to triumph. That's how God works. We see this over and over again. It's a resounding theme through the book of Acts. Think about this with me. Let's talk about some tragedies and look at how they turned out. Let's take the first tragedy as the book of Acts gets going, Christ's death. That was a tragedy. Man, the disciples are scared. They're uncertain. They're overwhelmed. But that tragedy, the tragedy of Christ's death, turned into the greatest triumph in all of history. You think about that. That tragedy turned into triumph and these scared apostles who were hidden in an upper room, scared to even come out, are boldly proclaiming the gospel and they literally turn the world upside down. But it all started with the tragedy of Christ's death. His death, the tragedy, turned into triumph. And thousands Upon millions of people would be saved and churches would grow, and we saw churches today. And it all started because of Christ's death. Second tragedy would be Stephen's martyrdom. A good man. Stephen was not a pastor, he was a deacon. But man, could he preach? He was a pretty good preacher. You read Acts chapter 7. And you read all the history he knew of Israel, and you guys killed him. You killed Jesus. You killed your Messiah. And we see that they were stiff-necked. They were hard-hearted. And tragedy. All the momentum the church had. I want you to go with me. You're there in Acts. Go to Acts chapter number 7. And look at verse number 54. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looking up steadfastly into heaven, and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. Very interesting. Every time we read the Bible, Jesus is always sitting at the right hand of God. It's the only time it ever says he's standing. You say, why is he standing? I don't know. You can figure that out. But it's the only time he's standing. He's standing. Could it be that maybe he thought that Israel would get it and it could all be done then? That's a thought. But Jesus is standing. There's a reason why it says that and why it doesn't say he's sitting, but we'll ask Jesus when we get to heaven. It says he's standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens open, the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him, and the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. He didn't just take a nap. I think sometimes we think, you know, they picked up little rocks like we have out front and they just started throwing them at him. A stoning in the Bible, they would have a pit area that they would tie the person to and they had literally chunk huge boulders of cement on top of the person until they killed the person. That's how it worked. It was not, it was not the way you want to die. Stephen died. The momentum that the church had gotten had kind of stopped there. All the good stuff had kind of stopped. But look at, go with me to chapter number 9. You see how God could take a tragedy? Stephen's death was a tragedy. Go to chapter number 9. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogue, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, that he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven, and he fell to the earth and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? He knew who it was, and the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutes." Persecute. Look at the end of the verse here, it is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Saul was under conviction. Why was Saul under conviction? I think it's pretty clear from chapter number 7 the way Stephen died and his response to those who killed him because he was right there and saw it. His heart was being worked on. He was being convicted. Saul, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. It's hard for you to deal with the conviction that you have in your heart. Think about this with me. The tragedy of Stephen's death led to the conviction and the eventual saving of the Apostle Paul. You see how the Lord can take tragedy and bring something great out of it? We see that with Jesus' death. We see that with Stephen's martyrdom, Number three, we see that with the church's persecution. You go to Acts chapter number eight, and the Bible says, and Saul was consenting unto his death, and at that time there was great persecution against the church that was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles, And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation for him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women committed them to prison. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad, look at this, went everywhere preaching the word. Tragedy, persecution. But the Lord took that persecution Turned into everyone preaching the word all over the place. And the church grew. And more people heard the word. And more people got saved. And more things happened. They would have never left Jerusalem if it wasn't for the persecution. And the persecution, the tragedy of the persecution, got the Christians to do what God had for them to do. You see, he took a tragedy and turned it, and it led to triumph. Think about this last one, number four. Paul's imprisonment. We go to Acts chapter 28, and I want you to see this with me. Acts 28. The Bible says, And when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, But Paul was suffered to dwell by him with a soldier that kept him. In verse 17, it came to pass that after three days Paul called the chief of the Jews together. And when they were come together, he said to them, men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And we could read here, and uh, Paul, probably one of the greatest Christians to ever live, you would think, how would, how, what would be the greatest way? Now, in my mind, what would be the greatest way for Paul to be able to reach people? Prison would not be my choice. How is Paul going to reach people with the gospel being in prison? But do you know something that's very important? Do you know it was during that time in prison that he wrote his epistles? Philippians. Ephesians, Romans, all those books, think about this. If Paul wouldn't have been imprisoned, who would have penned all those words so that you and I would have gotten saved? Because I know it's those verses in the book of Romans and Ephesians that got me, that convicted my heart. Most of us are saved here tonight through Paul's epistles. But God took him being imprisoned, a tragedy, and used it for the glory of God. We could look, and I've mentioned before, the book of Revelation. They thought they could banish John to the island of Patmos and they would never hear from him again. Basically, John wouldn't shut up. He wouldn't quit talking about the Lord. So they put him where no one would ever have to hear from him again. And yet he got to witness and pin Some of the greatest words in all the world to close out the Bible. God takes tragedy and makes something special out of it. Chapel up in up in Santa Clara County, up north. We know we've talked about North Valley Baptist Church. They ended up they settled with the county and they decided to go back outside, and the county dropped all their fees against them. So they've been doing drive-in church now for a while. Again, they. They decide to do that and that's their thing. There's a Calvary chapel up there that won't give in. They have three hundred and fifty thousand dollar fine from the county of Santa Clara County. Three hundred and fifty thousand. And they are taking him to court tomorrow to put a restraining order on that pastor and the church in Santa Clara County. That's starting to be persecution. That's getting real close but finds things that we go through. Stephen was stoned to death. Christians were killed. Do we think it's always going to be easy? It's not. And you got to understand something. Let's make sure we get something clear. As we get close to the Lord returning, it's only going to get worse, okay? Don't forget that tonight. You say, Pastor, you're supposed to be encouraging us. Do you think that we're special? We're not special, the most special person who ever lived was Jesus Christ. And all he did was suffer, right? And yea, all that will live godly shall suffer persecution. So take a lesson from the book of Acts God takes tragedies and does some special things with it. We look at this past year in the craziness of 2020. God can take those times and make something special out of it. Don't ever lose sight of that. Tragedy. You say, tragedy's hit my life. Well, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. He doesn't promise it all to be good. He says it works together for good. It's One of those verses that Christians get wrong. Life's not promised to be good. He promises it works together for good. So we might be in future days going to suffer some persecution. But if they did in the Bible, why can't we? And why can't we stand? We live in a day of soft Christianity. We really do. We really do. And if we can't wake up and stay faithful to God with a virus that's going on, and let me just hold on for a second. You can, there, there are people that are over the top concerned about the virus, and there are those who are not concerned at all. There's a wide, And there's those in the middle, and they're all over the place. As a Christian, I believe that God knows my days. And when it's time for him to take me, he's going to take me. That doesn't mean I don't be careful and I don't be safe and I try to do my best and take care of what God's given to me in my body. That's important and you, there are things that you do. But if a virus keeps you from fulfilling what the Bible's told you to do, what are you going to do when real persecution comes? God did not intend for church to be a video camera. He didn't. A church is a called out assembly. If you want to have a called out assembly and have your six feet of social distancing with it, fine, that's fine. But a church is a called out assembly. In all honesty, we don't need the building to meet in. We can meet outside, we can meet wherever. But we're called to meet. And if this, and we need to wake up, we really do. Christians could suffer the way that they did. We got to stand up at some point. And I'm not telling you to stand up against government for the sake of standing up against government. Every store I go into, I wear a mask at every store. I don't argue with anyone, never. I wear it in every place I go. Why? Because that's what they want me to do. So why aren't you wearing one in church? You have a choice. If you want to wear one in church, you go right ahead. To me, I feel like having on my mask blocks me from God. It hinders my worship. That's me. You don't have to, that's my opinion. If you want to wear one, wear it. If you don't, you do what you want to do. But in this place, we're here to please God. That's all we're here for. And that's what the church did. And we got to wake up and we got to to get better. We got to quit being weak Christians and be strong Christians and be ready for the battles that come ahead. Because the closer we get to the Lord's return, it's only going to get worse. And thank God for America, and thank God for the years and all the time of religious liberty that we've had. But there's no guarantee that it's going to stay that way. We just live for God. And as the hard times come, you've got to remember, church, God takes those hard times and those tragedies, and he turns them into triumph.